Right, today's reading is taken from the book of Mark, and it's uh, chapter 2, verses 18 to 28. And uh, Jesus is questioned about fasting and Lord of the Sabbath. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk, on an unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into an old wineskin. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields. As his disciples were walking along, they began to pick some ears of corn. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what, they are, what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which was lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much. Um, as you can see, uh, we, are going to, we're, we are starting a new series, and we are going to go through Gospel of Mark, but we are not going to go in order. Um, well, we are going to go in order, but we're not, going to, we're not starting in verse, uh, ch- chapter 1, verse 1, and so on. Uh, what I would love for you to do, uh, we're going to go through Mark in five different sessions, and we're only going to go through the difficult sections, uh, the things that I think actually need some more explanation. Um, so if you go to the app, once again, <laughs> there is the announcement. If you could read the section from chapter 1 to chapter 4 until next week and bring your questions, and each week I'll give you about three or four chapters to read, and in five weeks we'll cover all 16 chapters, but I won't go through the whole 16 chapters, but I will go through the difficult sections uh, of these 16 chapters in Gospel Mark. Um, so today is about this wine skin that needs, uh, that requires an explanation. So uh, why don't we pray um, that God will speak to us through these words. Lord, we give you once again great thanks and praise that you have given your word, that it reveals to us who you are. And Lord, we confess we do not take the time to really sit down and read and be confronted by your word. So, Lord, we pray that you will speak to us, 
that you renew our minds, that you transform our hearts, that we may live in the light of the truth that you have revealed. Speak to us this, this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if fasting is something that you normally or regularly do. When was the last time that you fasted for a day or maybe uh, for a meal even to devote yourself to prayer and to reading of the Bible? Fasting was a familiar concept to Jewish people. Uh, King David fasted when Nathan came and confronted him and said, you have, you have killed, you have taken away. Um, he pleaded for God's mercy. Elijah fasted when Queen Jezebel uh, was pursuing him. He probably fasted asking God to, to come and help and improve the situation that he was in. We saw Daniel fasting in chapter 9. He read the Bible, Jeremiah, and he figured out there actually that it's time for the return. And so he fasted and prayed that God would hold tr- uh, be, be true to his word, that, the, that the, his people will go back to Jerusalem, and the end of exile would come. Esther, remember, fasted. Esther and the, whole na- the Jew- Jewish people in exile fasted before Esther went before the king of Persia, um, trying to save all the Jews from extinction. And here in verse 18, we see people fasting there. John the Baptist and the Pharisees were fasting. But what they noticed was that, that Jesus and his disciples were not fasting. So they asked the question, why? Why is it that they're not fasting? Well, John the Baptist, his disciples were probably fasting because if you go back to chapter 1, verse 14, um, there we see John the Baptist being captured. Uh, he was put into prison. They were probably fasting to say, God, please deliver uh, their leader, John the Baptist. The Pharisees, well, the law required uh, people to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement uh, to, to mourn for their sins, to ask God to forgive their sins. But uh, the Pharisees thought that actually it was a good idea to fast time to time, more regularly than once a year. So they didn't just fast once a year. They actually fasted weekly, not just once a week, but twice a week, Monday and Thursdays. They fasted, probably doing the same thing, mourning over their sins, asking God to come and forgive them. You see, most people fast because they need the situation to change. Because there's something wrong with their lives. Something difficult has come into their lives. Or because they're mourning for their sins. Because they recognize what they've done and they want, to, uh, want, uh, want God to forgive them. But as Jesus began his ministry, um, they noticed that Jesus and his disciples didn't fast. And they asked why. And Jesus gives them an answer here. Uh, verse 19. How can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. It's a strange answer, isn't it? Because it makes sense that people wouldn't fast in a wedding, especially in a Jewish wedding. Jewish wedding lasted seven days, and it was the most joyous time of a Jewish person's life. I mean, the bride and the groom were called king and queen for that time period. No one would go to the wedding feast and put on a solemn face and say, actually, I'll pass on the meal. This is not something that they did. Well, that's understandable. But what's strange here is that clearly Jesus, him, Jesus is calling himself the groom. But he, he's saying that the groom, I have come, and no one should be fasting. Well, the question is, why is he calling himself the groom? Where is this wedding? When is this wedding happening? And this bit makes a bit more sense 
if we go back, we have to go back to the Old Testament. Because there, sometimes God calls himself the groom, the husband. This is most clear, I think, in the prophet, uh, in the book of Hosea, with uh, uh, prophet Hosea. There, God likens himself to a man who's engaged to a prostitute. Uh, Israel went around worshiping all sorts of other gods. They wandered far away from him. Hosea then predicts a time of punishment for Israel, but then also a time when Israel will come back to him. And this is what God says, Hosea 2.4. You, Israel, will, will call me my husband. 2.19 and 20. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. See, God is saying, at this time when you return, you will marry me, and you, I will be your husband. Isaiah says something very similar in Isaiah 54. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of the earth. How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? You see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that he is the Yahweh God. That he is what the Old Testament had predicted to come. That God himself would come. He is saying that he is now here. What, what people were longing for, fasting for, has come. And it's inappropriate now to fast while he is around because he is what they've been looking for. And they sure needed him, Israel, didn't they? I mean, think about the past 700 years before Jesus is coming. There were the Assyrian invasion taking over the northern, northern, Empire, uh, northern kingdom, Israel. There was the Bab- siege, uh, Babylonian invasion, siege of uh, the Jerusalem Uh, destruction of the temple, death of many, many people, 70 years of exile, people longing for God to come and do something about it. And only when when they went back uh, after 70 years, uh, they uh, uh, they were... taken over by different empires, Greek empire, which was terrible um, to them, and, and Roman empire afterwards. But through it all, they had hope. After all, they've heard, I mean, we've heard in the past sermon series in Daniel, that God says, actually, he will come back, that he will be back, that the Son of Man would come, that God himself would come and make things right. So they waited, and they hoped. And now Jesus is saying that he is here, that the kingdom of God that they had been waiting for, all their problems will be solved because God is now with them. Fasting is inappropriate while he is there. Let me tell you, Jesus is not somebody that only the Jews have been waiting for, hoping for, is he? He is the one that the whole world has been searching for. Uh, the whole world has been waiting for. You know, we, all of us have problems, and all of us long for these problems to go away, don't we? So people seek and pray and toil to change the world, to make it a little bit better, for these things to go away. We all hope for something to come and change. I mean, if you go to the Silicon Valley, there is, they, they, they think an app or some, sort of, some piece of technology will change the world and make it better. 
uh, in the hospitals, they're searching for uh, uh, the, the cures for disease, for cancer, and for these deadly diseases that plague uh, our lives. Professors and teachers put their hope in education, thinking that actually if people were educated enough, then things will get better. For some, their hope literally rests on people, for politi- and on politicians, Merkel, Obama, CY, or maybe not so much CY, but... Um, or people who you're voting for today, you know, you, maybe you think so, this person will make Hong Kong better. If we elect this person, then actually problems will go away. We're all searching. If not searching for toiling, uh, then toiling to improve uh, this world. And all this, I should say, is very important. You know, who you vote for matters. Whether we find a cure for disease matters. Um, Whether we have the right leader matters. But even with all these things in place, actually the world will not fundamentally change because there is sin, because there is still evil in in this world that's all around us. The solution, the radical solution that we need is Jesus. He is the bridegroom that the Jewish people had been hoping for and waiting for. The perfect political leader you're looking for is found in Jesus. The end of all disease is found in Jesus. The end of poverty, end of war, end of oppression, all of that is tied up with coming of Jesus and the coming of his kingdom here on earth. So are you searching? I think most of us are Christians, but if you are not yet a Christian, are you searching? Because what you are looking for, what you're toiling for, is found in Jesus. Look to him. Find out more about him. It's time for a celebration, is what Jesus is saying. He has come. But unless we're willing to change how we look at the world, unless we are willing to change how, what, religion, what we think of religion, Uh, what we think of God, we won't be able to receive him. And that's what we see in these two small parables in verses 21 and 22. Uh, He cannot be received or understood unless we are willing to change our ways, our our understanding. The concept is simple enough. Uh, You you don't uh, sew a piece of new clothing into the old one because the old one has been shrunken already through many wash. And if you put a new piece of clothing into the old uh, tear, then the new thing will start shrinking and tear away from the old one. It will ruin the old one. In the same way, one does not put new wine into old wineskin, the old leather bag, you know, used leather skin at those times in this dry heat and desert. It was all crusty. It was dried up. It wasn't fit for new water, new wine to go in. It might go in and break. The point is clear. The new cannot fit into the old. Jesus is the new wine. And unless people change, what their ideas about the world, Judaism, religion, and God, they cannot receive him as they are. This is why the Pharisees didn't get Jesus' teaching about uh, uh, fasting. They had this idea about what pleases God. Um, They thought fasting was good. They thought that mourning over sins is good. I mean, they did it twice a week. They thought this was a good thing. And they thought, why is Jesus not fasting? He must be bad. 
Same thing happens in the next story, uh, the story about the Sabbath day. Yes, God's people weren't allowed to um, harvest on the Sabbath, um, but the disciples were snacking, really. They were not harvesting, are they? They're walking along the road, they're picking grains, and then they're eating it. And have you ever had raw grain? It's terrible. You know why they're doing it? It's because they're hungry. (laughs) They are terribly hungry and they want to eat something. This is not harvesting, but the Pharisees had their ideas about what was good and bad. You aren't supposed to pick anything on Sabbath day. That's harvesting because they had these ideas. When they saw Jesus and his disciples, they thought, this is bad. They must be bad. They must not be from God. And it's because of their self-righteousness, they refuse to listen. They refuse to accept who Jesus is. And actually, this happens throughout chapters 2 and 3. Jesus forgives sins of the paralytic man. And they utter, he's blaspheming. Um, uh, Jesus includes sinners into the kingdom of God. He calls Levi, tax collector, um, sinners. And then what they say is, why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Jesus heals a man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath day, and they plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. They begin to plot to kill Jesus because they had their ideas about God. Jesus didn't fit into their system because Jesus was bigger than their system. Jesus is outside of their system. He was much greater than their system. And that's what Jesus also tries to explain in the next section when he mentions David how he went into the temple and ate from the consecrated bread. You know, what he's saying is, Pharisees, you don't question David, do you? Why is it that you don't have a problem with David going into the temple and eating? The answer is because he's David. Because he is the undisputedly the greatest king of Israel. So you don't question David. You see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, I am greater than David. You don't question David. You don't question me. I tell you what the Sabbath means. And to make that point clear, Jesus says in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He is the Lord over the Sabbath. He's the one who created Sabbath. He is the one who has authority than to tell people how to obey what Sabbath means for his people. So how about us? How about you? What are the old wineskin, old ideas about God, about, about the world, about yourself, about religion that prevents you from fully receiving Jesus? Undoubtedly, there are people here who miss seeing Jesus simply because you just refuse to believe. You just dismiss the premise that Jesus could be God. Jesus can't be God because there, this sort of thing doesn't happen. Miracles don't happen. You've just, you dismiss it out of hand. And if you are one of these people, could I just please ask, examine the evidence. See Jesus as he is. Examine him, not your ideas. Don't be stuck in your ideas. There are people also, I'm sure, here who think, well, I don't really need 
Jesus in my life. He seems like a nice man, somebody that I could learn from. Um, you say to yourself, well, you know, I really don't really need Jesus because I haven't killed anyone, I haven't lied, and, you know, I'm a generally a good person. I, I even give to charity time to time. Um, and actually, this isn't just a non-Christian problem, is it? I mean, this could be some, some of you here in this church who think, actually, I'm a good Christian. I come to church on Sundays, I tithe, I do nice things, I volunteer, I read the Bible, I even pray to him. All these things make me a good Christian. And if you think that you are good enough for God, if you think that you are good enough uh, for God, that God can accept you, God will accept you because of what you've done, this is the most dangerous kind of, of old wineskin. Because if you think you're good enough, then you won't need Jesus, will you? Your goodness is what makes you acceptable to God, not Jesus himself. Um, Jesus says uh, himself in chapter 2, verse 17, one verse before our reading. This is what he says. It's not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This might be exceedingly difficult for some of us to accept that none of us are good, that all of us are sick, that we are all sinners in need of God's forgiveness. But if you believe that you can be good by trying hard, how are we so different from the Pharisees who are saying, I don't mingle with the sinners and tax collectors? So what are the old wineskin that needs to burst, that need to go away? to receive and follow this Jesus. Let's go back to the beginning. If Jesus really is the Messiah, if he really is the Son of God, if he really is the groom that the Old Testament promised and he came, how is it that, you might be asking, the world is still so full of problems? You know, you don't have to go very far to see these problems it's in Hong Kong. Underneath the lights of this prosperous, this prosperous city is anxiety about the future. It's tiredness that drives us. Under, uh, uh, people here are, are dealing, in, in this church, are dealing with all sorts of problems too. There's cancer. There's death. There is whatever burden that you are carrying today. It is there with us. Why is it? What does it mean for Jesus to be a solution to all these problems? What does it mean? Why doesn't it go away if he really is the groom? Well, we could see 2,000 years ago, actually the problems did go away when Jesus was around. When all these sick people were brought to Jesus, Jesus healed them. He expelled demons and evil spirits everywhere he he went. The kingdom of God has no place for evil spirits. The problems did go away. When there were people who were hungry, God fed. Jesus fed the hungry. He really was the solution to all our problems. But once again, let's go back to our text. Because this text isn't all happy, is it? Verse 20. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And on that day, they will fast. Jesus says, even there, on that day, there will be fasting. And this is not the day when he goes away. He says, when he is 
taken away. The groom came, but people didn't receive him. They didn't welcome him. Not only did they not welcome him, they took him away and they crucified him on the cross. But you have to know this. Jesus went there willingly. He went there willingly because he knew that this was the solution that they needed. The problem of sin needed to be taken care of. So he went to the cross. But he rose again. And he sent the Spirit to us. And we can sense a measure of that kingdom here with us, even now, because of the Holy Spirit. But it's still, the world is still full, full of problems. And it's not just your lack of faith. And that might have to do with, with some of it. It's not just a lack of faith. Jesus did go away. The kingdom of God is not yet fully here. You know, what this means is that we know that he is our groom. We know that that wedding day will come, but we're not yet there. We're not yet married. We're, we're engaged. We're engaged. When Mary and I got, got engaged, things definitely got better. Um, you know, when you're dating, dating implies that you don't know exactly if this is the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. Right? You're checking each other out. You're just still searching to see if this is the right person or not. But when you get engaged... Actually, you're not checking each other out anymore. You know that this is the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, and you're preparing for that day. And it's a good thing to have found that person in your life. But engagement also comes with a lot of frustrations as well. Uh, frustration because at the end of each evening, we needed to go back to our home. We, you know, it meant that we couldn't do all the things that we wanted to do as a couple together. It comes with frustrations as well. You see, that is what what it's like to know Jesus now, to have him as our groom now, to be engaged to him now. We know that he is the solution to all our problems. We know that he is with us through the Spirit. But the fullness of who he is, the fullness of his kingdom of God is not yet here with us. But, the groom will come back. And in order to see that scene, we have to go all the way to the back of the Bible in Revelation 21. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, why, don't we, why don't you turn to Revelation 21, to verse 2. John writes, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This is when Jesus will come back. And he says, the bride, the church, the people of God are now beautifully dressed and prepared for his coming. Then marriage will take place. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tears from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. See, what everybody is looking for is found in Jesus. End of disease. It's not fully here, but it will come. End of mourning, end of wars, end of ISIS, end of poverty, complete harmony, peace over the earth. The world as it's meant to be is coming. Jesus is the solution 
to our problems. But we wait for that wedding day now. The text started with the question of fasting. Do Christians, should Christians fast? The answer is yes. We do time to time fast even now. Because this is time of the engagement. The sin still is with us. Evil isn't completely eradicated. Death still lingers over this world. But the Christian life, Christian gathering, overall has to be marked with great joy. Because we know that our wedding day will come. We know the groom. We know that we can go through the frustrations of this world because we know it has an expiration date, that the wedding day will come. But friends, in order to be married to him, in order to be his bride, in order to participate in that wedding, you do have to change. You do need to face up to who you really are, which is a sinner in need of God's grace. You need to also face up to real Jesus. He's not simply a great teacher who will make your life a little bit better. He's not simply a doctor who has come to heal our diseases. He's not a therapist for us. He is Yahweh God. He is the Lord over this world who will come back to punish the wicked, exalt the humble, put an end to disease, this world of suffering, the one who will create us anew the one who will create this whole world anew. He came 2,000 years ago, and he will come back. And so we wait now. Let's pray. Lord, your son Jesus is our hope. He is our cornerstone. Um, We pray that now as we go, that we will be able to put, we will put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ that we will hope um, for that day, we will wait for that day, that we will share this good news with others and help us to wait joyfully even through the frustrations of this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.